Hey, Mount Carmel and friends, I am so glad that you chose to join us this morning, regardless of where you are watching from or when you chose to join us. I don't think it's any surprise to you. Um, these are uh, some interesting times. It's been a very interesting couple of weeks. I think most of us could say that we've never quite experienced something uh, like this. And so it's caused us to ask a lot of questions. And um, sometimes there's not a lot enough answers for that. And so um, a few weeks ago, I asked uh, the question, what is happening right now? And I've asked that question quite a few times since then. Um, surprisingly enough, that very first time that I asked that question, what is happening a few weeks ago, it had nothing to do with the coronavirus, but everything to do with my oldest son, Cameron. And so Cameron is five years old and he is in his last year of preschool. And the life of a preschooler is filled with discovery, learning, social interaction, and much more. And where Cameron goes to preschool, they get to do a lot of fun things, a lot of outside things, a lot of hikes and jumping in mud puddles and uh, learning through nature. And we love it because he loves it and it really kind of fits his personality to a T. And so a few weeks ago, um, it was a Monday afternoon, I head to Cameron School to go and pick him up uh, and check him out. And so I pull into the parking lot and I am prepared um, that uh, I might have a little bit of cleanup to do because that was kind of during the weeks where it felt like it did nothing but rain. And so I knew I might have some, some muddy shoes, maybe some wet clothes to clean up. And so I get out of the car. Other parents are also getting out of the car. And the preschool teachers, they open up the door and all the preschoolers begin to file out. And at first I didn't notice anything different uh, about Cameron. And then I started to pick up on a couple of things. Number one, he wasn't in the clothes um, that he was sent to school in, right? But again, not all that different, nothing too strange there. That's happened before, you know, it's raining. It had been raining for days up to a week ahead of time. It was probably a pretty messy day at preschool. And then I noticed Cameron is dragging a garbage bag full of his clothes that appear pretty muddy behind him. And Cameron's not the only uh, preschooler doing this. I mean, literally just dragging a bag behind him. I'm like, okay. Um, but again, not all that surprising, nothing too out of the ordinary that has, has happened before. And then I notice something. Cameron then lifts up his backpack. And here's what you need to know about Cameron in his backpack. Cameron loves to take his backpack on all sorts of adventures on every hike that he goes on. And here's the thing, does Cameron need to take his backpack uh, on the hikes at preschool? Nope. Has Cameron been instructed to leave his backpack maybe in the classroom? Absolutely. But Cameron is prepared for anything and everything when he goes on his hikes with his teachers and his preschool classmates. And so Cameron's got a compass, check. Uh, does Cameron have band-aids, check. He is ready to go. And Cameron's backpack is, is scarlet and gray. It's, it's, it's red and gray. And uh, so he lifts up this backpack and it is just soaking wet. I mean, it is absolutely just dripping wet like I have never seen before. 
it was unrecognizable because it had been caked in mud. I mean, it looked like Cameron had pulled this backpack out of a swamp and it had been sitting in there for five years. I mean, it was completely covered and he just hands this backpack to me and I'm like, what just happened? And Cameron's teachers were like, well, it has been quite a fun day. And I'm, I'm like, I can see that. And um, they're like, wait until you see the pictures. And Cameron's teachers do a great job of taking pictures and they send them to all the parents, you know, a day or two later. And so I want you to check out these pictures that uh, my wife, Elise, had sent to me a day after. And the next day, I mean, you can just see Cameron laying face down in the biggest, most muddiest mud puddle that you can imagine. He's got that mud caked on his face and man, he was just loving life. I mean, it was ridiculous and I could not stop laughing at those pictures. Man, what is happening was the question I asked when I saw Cameron in his backpack because it was so unrecognizable. And I've asked that question, what is happening a lot since then. Um, there's a lot of noise in our society right now. There is um, a lot of confusion. There's a lot of concern and rightfully so. And that noise, that confusion, that fear, that anxiety can feel overwhelming at times. And it leads us to a place where we are, we are concerned for what's next. We're fearful of what's next. And so if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, then you know that We've been in a series um, where we have we've been talking about different people throughout the Bible um, that have had interactions with God and they have had a new identity coming out of that. They have literally uh, had their name changed because of their interactions with God. And so in this series called New Identity, this morning we get to look at a moment in history, really, a trivial moment in history um, where there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of, of, of fear. And um, the disciples of Jesus find themselves in the midst of all of that. And so at this time, there are a lot of questions about the identity of Jesus, about who Jesus is and who Jesus says that he is. You know, questions of, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is Jesus the Son of God, or is Jesus just a good man? Is Jesus simply a good teacher, a miracle worker, or is Jesus a fraud? Is he an imposter? Is Jesus fake? And so there's a lot of growing questions and growing concern and growing opposition, and the disciples find themselves there. And that's what we get to talk about today in our, in our series, New Identity. And so as Matthew chapter 16 opens, it opens with a confrontation, if you will, between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were the religious leaders, the religious authority of the day. And they were not convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. They were not convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. And so they're asking Jesus for a very specific sign to prove that he is from heaven. And so these Pharisees, they have been around for some time. They have monitored the life of Jesus up until this point. They have been closely watching Jesus, the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus had said. 
And so Jesus has performed miracles before, and some of these very Pharisees would have witnessed that. And if they hadn't personally, another Pharisee would have, and they would have conversed about this. And these Pharisees know the things that Jesus has taught. And so they're looking for a very specific sign. And truly, Jesus was the sign that the Pharisees were looking for, but they're looking for something different. And uh, they're frustrated, and they're growing in opposition. And the disciples are witness to this. And it moves to this point where Jesus and his Pharisees are set to, to depart. They're set to leave, to head out across the lake. And Jesus very pointedly warns his disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees. And it's, it's kind of humorous for us to read today knowing what we know now because the disciples are kind of like, yeast of the Pharisees, God. Guys, we forgot. We forgot our bread. We forgot our lunch. Matthew, Peter, that was that was your job. Why why'd you forget the bread? And Jesus he overhears this and he says, I'm not talking about literal bread. Um, I'm warning you of the false teaching, the evil um, that resides in the Pharisees. And the disciples understand this. And Jesus very clearly has recognized that this has taken a toll on the disciples that um, they have, they've recognized that the noise is growing louder and louder, that places that were once um, popular places for Jesus, places that were growing in popularity for Jesus are maybe now shifting, and it's now growing in opposition. And Jesus is, is encouraging his disciples to stay on track, to, to stay on target. And they arrive at this place called Caesarea Philippi. And so what's so important for us to recognize at this point is that Caesarea Philippi uh, was mountainous and it had this huge mountain face that stretched so high into the sky. And at the base of this mountain was a temple. And this temple was devoted to Caesar himself. And there was niches carved in uh, to the mountainside, and in these niches were different statues and idols devoted to different gods. And so amongst all of this noise, amongst all of these questions, amongst all this opposition from religious leaders, from the crowds, and now in a place where there's a temple devoted to Caesar and there's different statues and idols devoted to different gods, Jesus finds himself in this place with his disciples. And he's about to ask them two very specific questions. And I want to read that with you this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 16, and uh, we're going to start in verse 13. And this is what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And so Jesus asked his disciples, friends, men, you have been with me for some time now, you've journeyed with me, you have traveled with me. You've been witness to the things that people are saying. Who do they say that I am? And surely the disciples are recollecting everything that they have heard. They are, they are recalling as they have traveled uh, in the streets and they, they're recollecting the murmurs of the crowds. And we're thinking back to even their conversations with their own friends and their own family and to people that they don't even know. And so the, the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, 
Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so the disciples respond, well, Jesus, some say that you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some say you are Elijah or Jeremiah or another prophet. Essentially, Jesus, people are saying you aren't the Messiah that you are maybe a forerunner to the Messiah to come. Maybe you are um, there to, to carve a path to make a way for the Messiah to come, but you aren't, in fact, the Messiah. Like, that is what we have heard the crowd say. That is what we have heard people say, that you're John the Baptist, you're a prophet, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, but you aren't the Messiah. And Jesus takes this in, and then he says, but what about you? He asked who do you say I am? See, these disciples, they have followed Jesus very closely for at least a couple of years up until this point. And now the tables have turned. It's no longer, what have you heard other people say about me? But rather, what do you, what do you think about me? Who do you say that I am? And amidst all of this noise, amidst all of this opposition in the place where they are in front of a uh, temple devoted to Caesar, amongst different statues and idols, to different gods, Jesus asked disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so Simon Peter speaks up and he says, now Jesus, I don't believe that you're just a good guy. I don't believe that you're just a good man. Jesus, I don't believe that you're just some good teacher or miracle worker. Now Jesus, I do believe that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, the disciples, they weren't following Jesus blindly. They weren't following Jesus as uneducated People, They were following Jesus, believing that Jesus was the Messiah. But their ideas about what the Messiah came to do were still weak. But what made Peter's confession so great was that it came in the midst of the noise, that it came in the midst of the confusion and the fear and the anxiety and the opposition. What made Peter's confession so great is that it didn't come from flesh and blood, that this was revealed to Peter by God. That's what makes this so great. See, there, there, up until this point, there has been no church as we know it. This is the first mention by Jesus of the church. And sure, there would have been people that would have been in Jesus's corner, that would have been supporters of Jesus. Um, but there were... A, a growing number of people in opposition to Jesus. The noise was growing louder and louder. And so there is no church up until this point. But Jesus says that he's going to build a church that the gates of hell can't stand against, that all of the oppositions, all of the evil in this world cannot stand up against. 
And see, this church that Jesus would build is not on the person of Peter. It's not on the humanity of Peter, but it's on the substance of Peter's confession. And this is awesome for us. That is, it's, it's awesome for us to realize that this church that could not be defeated is built not on the person, not on one single person, but on the substance of Peter's confession, on the substance of our confession. See, Peter is still flawed. See, the things that Peter thought the Messiah would come to do were probably wrong. Peter probably still held to the belief that Jesus, the Messiah, came to overthrow Rome and that uh, Jesus or the Messiah would sit on his rightly throne. And we see kind of Peter's confusion. Um, A few verses later in verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. See, Peter, he looks at Jesus, and Jesus has begun to prepare his disciples. See, up until this point, there hadn't been a church, but now upon Peter's confession that he does believe that Jesus is the Christ, Peter realizes that things are going to change. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's to come next, that there are dark days ahead. Based on Peter's confession, Jesus can now move towards what's next. And so Peter doesn't have an issue with the miraculous. Peter has been present when Jesus has fed thousands of people with very little. Peter has been present when Jesus has healed people. And so when Jesus prepares his disciples for the dark days to come, the suffering to come, Peter doesn't have much of an issue with the miraculous. Could Jesus raise from the dead? Sure. I've seen Jesus do the miraculous before, I'm sure Peter thought. So maybe that's not out of the question. But death? Certainly not not my Messiah, not my King. And so Peter pulls Jesus aside. He's like, Jesus, this can never happen to you. Death? No way. That's, death is not suitable for the Messiah. Death is not suitable for the King, especially not sacrificially and voluntarily. See, Peter's view of what the Messiah would come and do was flawed. And maybe for us, maybe it's a little bit different. See, for us, it's not out of the realm of possibility that a person would voluntarily, sacrificially lay down their life for the benefit of others. We celebrate that. We celebrate those acts of bravery and those acts of um, heroics, and we should celebrate them. But for us, maybe it's more difficult to believe in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But see, that's the beautiful truth for us. Regardless of where we stand, God still used Peter even though he was flawed. Even though Peter realized Jesus was the Messiah, he didn't fully realize what the Messiah came to do. And God still used him. God was still able to build a church that could withstand any storm. 
And so even where we stand, even in our questions and in our doubts, God can still use us even amongst our flaws. See, my identity, the identity of the church is built upon the true identity of Jesus, the all-encompassing identity of Jesus, both death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the amazing truth for us. See, there's a, a lot of questions for us today, especially right now with what our society, what the world is dealing with. And see, the church has never been perfect. And the church, as long as humans are involved, will never be perfect. The church at times has failed. The church at times has not been as effective as it could be or been running on all cylinders as it should be. And that'll be the case as long as human leaders are involved. But the church that Jesus talked about, that could withstand the gates of Hades, could withstand the gates of hell, that would still stand in any storm, wasn't built upon us as people, but because Jesus defeated the world, because Jesus defeated death. And that's what we get to rest in today. And so regardless of our questions, regardless of whether I have, have questions in my own faith, in my own um, faith journey, regardless of um, the answers that I don't have when it comes to what's happening today or what's going to happen tomorrow or the weeks and months to come, what I get to have hope in and what I know to be true is that the church still stands. And so I want to celebrate that with you this morning. Let me pray for you. God, I am so thankful um, that you built a church um, that still stands, a church that can overcome any storm, a church that uh, will overcome all the powers and evils in this world, God. I am so thankful that uh, even though we may not have all of the answers in our faith, um, while we um, have many questions in our faith, that God, you can still use us um, to build a church um, that stands in the midst of the storm. God, I love you. We love you. And it's your name I pray. Amen. And so if you um, have any questions, um, while we are in a moment where um, we're kind of in flux, things are fluid, um, they are different, um, there's more data and um, questions coming out daily, we want you to uh, stay connected with us. And so we are putting together different ways to do our small groups, different ways to stay connected with our people, um, different ways for us to continually be in communication with you and praying for you. And so we want to make sure that you share those with us, um, whether that be by phone, email, text, um, Zoom, Google Hangouts, or the like. And so we love you guys. We'll be praying for you, and we'll see you next week.